This is an ABC podcast. Hello from Wurundjeri country. This is Life Matters. I'm Beverly Wang. And here's my question. Have you ever struck up a relationship, either a fling or a friendship, while on holiday? If you have a real-life story about making new connections while traveling, we'd love to hear about it. You know we love a good story. And we also want to know how you think being away from your usual routine changed your headspace about forming those new relationships. Let's talk. Well, we are counting down the days to summer, and maybe you're making big holiday plans. Are you also thinking about the people you might meet on your travels? There is something different about the connections we form when we travel, short, intense, spontaneous, and suspended in a particular time and place. They can be interactions we remember for a lifetime and something hard to recreate when we get back home. I know I've got lots of fond and adventurous memories of friends and acquaintances made during solo travels or stints studying and working overseas. Some are people I probably would never have met and spent time with if not for the fact of being thrown together by chance. Many people I never did meet again. With others, I formed many lasting friendships. In fact... Way back in the early noughties, I met someone. I was an English teacher in Japan, and I met a fellow English teacher. Fast forward almost a decade later, and many other details that we're not going to get into right now, we got married. Hence the reason why I live here in Australia. It's a true story. So what is your true story about a holiday relationship or perhaps a special fling that you hold dear? It doesn't have to be romantic. It can also be a friendship that made your trip special and memorable. Maybe you're still in touch. I'd love to know how you met and what it meant to you and whether being out of context, that different headspace, like I said, affected the way you socialized and formed friendships while traveling. Dr. Raquel Peel is a senior lecturer in psychology and counseling at the University of Southern Queensland, and she studies romantic relationships. Raquel, welcome to Life Matters. Hello, thank you so much for having me today. It's wonderful to have you here. I wonder if you can relate. Have you got any uh, travel stories to share about making new connections? I absolutely can relate. Um, I am not originally from Australia, um, like yourself, and I have been traveling the world and <laughs> for many years now. And I also met my husband uh, while in Australia. Um, on an extended holiday, well, so I absolutely can relate. Yeah. And uh, is that per- potentially the reason why we sp- we still find you in Australia today? That is the reason why I'm still here, absolutely. I think there are lots and lots of stories uh, like that once you start to get to know people, many people born overseas living in Australia. And uh, one, one, I suppose one of the key migration draws is the people. The people here are fantastic. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this idea of having a different headspace when we're traveling. How does that change when, when we're out of our usual context? Oh, look, being out of our routine can give us the opportunity to experience new things, try things that we wouldn't have otherwise tried. We feel confident, we feel capable, and and it's freeing. It's, it's a wonderful experience to be able to get out of our day-to-day um, commitments. And... When it comes to going overseas, um, I think, does that also change the way we think about ourselves? 
Look, it can. It can. Uh, look, one experience will not uh, redefine us, but it does give us that chance of um, trying out new behaviors, new um, attitudes, and and experience really different versions of ourselves. Different versions of ourselves. I think that is correct. That's why we savor going on holiday, don't we? Because we can feel a bit fresh and new and perhaps reborn from the usual grind. Dr. Raquel Peel is with me taking your calls. She's a senior lecturer in psychology and counseling at the University of Southern Queensland. She studies romantic relationships. Let's go to Anna who in Melbourne. Anna, welcome to Life Matters. Have you got a story about meeting somebody special overseas? Uh, Thanks, Beverly. Uh, Yeah, so when I was in my 20s, um, I met somebody um, in Thailand. When I was traveling, we were the only people staying at the accommodation. So we ended up, I ended up deviating from my previous travel plans. I think we spent maybe a week or a week and a half together. Um, he didn't speak much English, but we just got along really well and people assumed we'd been together for a really long time and we were just like, no, we just met a few days ago. Um, but it was very memorable and it was really nice to have a travel companion at that point in my life. And, and how, I guess if you could take us back to that time, what was it that made you feel like, uh, I suppose, going out of your comfort zone and striking up a relationship with someone you didn't know at all? Um, I don't know. I think I've been traveling maybe a few weeks already just on my own and it can be really hard to travel on your own sometimes. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I can pinpoint it to one thing, but just we had an easy harmony together. Mm. Um, I just felt very understood by this person and it was just, it was just very easy. And how did you manage the language barrier? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we just didn't talk much. I'm not sure. Um, he was actually very funny. He even had like this book at that time. Nobody does this anymore, but like with English words in it and pictures. Okay. Um, maybe that helped. Um, yeah, it was quite a severe barrier, but it didn't really matter because I think we just sort of discussed enough what we wanted to do for the day and that was enough. Yeah. Well, it, just hearing you laugh about that memory, Anne, it sounds like it was a really positive time. Did you stay in touch at all? Uh, not really, we didn't, but I feel like I could reach out and they'd probably remember me fondly, so that's nice. And why is that, you think, that you just kept it contained to that, that trip and, and nothing beyond? How did, did you kind of have a sense that that was the, going to be the natural endpoint? Yeah, it was definitely just a natural endpoint, and I think maybe in some ways getting to know someone better kind of then maybe changes the memories you have. You know, mm-hmm. you might find out something you don't want to if you get to know someone more and more. So I think it was nice to keep it contained. And finally, Anna, just a word of advice, I guess, if there are people listening and thinking, oh, well, that's quite unusual, but maybe I should, um, I would consider it hearing your story. Have you got any advice about how to strike up a friendship or relationship with somebody overseas uh, who you might not know at all um, and you might not even share language, but how do you kind of break the ice? I think when you're with other travellers, everyone's in the same position, right? Like, we're all just looking to have a good time and explore ourselves in a different environment. So you already have that in common. Anna, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your story. Let's go to Judith in Sydney. You've got a backpacking story from 1976. While my sister and I were backpacking in South America, 
we met a Sydney couple and the four of us travelled together for several weeks while we parted company. I stayed in touch with them and then when I moved to Sydney, um, I shared a house with them for a while. They've become my closest friends. They're still together and they subsequently married and had children and they're just the loveliest people. What an extraordinary story, Judith. It must be incredible to think that chance meeting has led to this lifelong friendship. What do you think has kept the relationship going for all these years? Can I just tell you um, how I connected with them? Please, I just yes, I'd love to hear that. Um, I saw some people across the plaza we were in and I thought they looked like travellers. So I went up to them and in my best and I'm being ironic, Spanish, said, Estoy gringos. <laughs> are you gringos? Are you, That's right. Are you white people, essentially? Precisely. <laughs> and uh, how did they answer, Judith? Um, gee, oh, we mean yes. And they happen to also be Australian. What a coincidence. It's just fantastic. So I suppose uh, we're, we're getting s- stories, but we're also getting reflections and some advice. What do you think? I mean, that was the 1970s. Technology has changed and keeping in touch has changed. What oh, would, gosh, yes. Yeah. What, do you think that you might be as inclined today to do that kind of thing, walk up to people? Do you think that maybe the way we relate to people has changed? Look, I don't know. I think I would still do it. Um, especially in your, when you're in a very foreign culture, um, the the contact with similar people when you don't speak much of the language is really a relief. Hmm. Well, thank you, Judith, for calling in. Let's go to Taylor, who's also in Sydney. Tell us your story. Hey, Beverly. Um, so, yeah, I... After doing undergrad at uni about 10 years ago, I went on a about five months backpacking to Europe, uh, which was just sort of a, you know, contiki bus about sort of trip, nothing particularly uh, cultural special. But I think after uni, like I'd sort of, you know, as a person changed from high school through uni, you grew as a person. But I still sort of very much thought that I was a certain person. Like I sort of, you know, I was sort of... A, typified myself as geeky and nerdy and et cetera like that. Um, but when I was on this tour, I think I was exposed to like a lot of, a big range of people that I probably wouldn't have chosen to be friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that that's, you know, they were bad people or anything, but just, you know, I sort of had an idea in my head of who I wanted my friends, to, who I thought my friends would be. Um, but anyway, we went on this amazing trip. And because I was in these situations in these new situations outside my own environment with these new people, I realized, oh, actually, like, I can be friends with people that, you know, aren't as nerdy as me or something. And I think I actually ended up growing as a person so much that when I came back from that trip, like, people around me actually said, like, oh, you seem a lot more different, you seem a lot more confident. And those people that were on that tour were were other Aussies. And um, now, 10 years later, like some of them are actually still really close friends. Like one of them I actually see every week. We walk the dog together. Another one of my friends lives interstate and we see each other interstate all the time. Um, and I've had some really lasting friendships, but also I think, you know, growing as a person through that. So it was, it was really great. 
Taylor, thank you so much. What a fantastic story from Taylor making lifelong friends on a, a Contiki tour of all things. Raquel, I'd love to come back to you and get some reflections on, on what you're hearing, but in particular, that idea that Taylor has teased out about how travel changes you. How is that good for our personal development? Oh, look, that's wonderful. And I really love Taylor's example of um, being able to say that he felt he grew as a person as a result of trying something new. And that's exactly what you would be hoping to to get out of a, a holiday overseas is that you've tried something that you would never have before, uh, made friends um, in a different circle, and as a result, um, found a different version of yourself that you might even like it better. Yeah, that you might even like better. I mean, especially that key time of life where you finish uni and you know, we talk about that classic gap year. Obviously, it's not a, a possibility for everyone. But if you do have the opportunity to go overseas and put yourself in a different context, you really can learn to get to know yourself, can't you? You can. I think we, when we are in a routine of our daily lives, we tend to define ourselves by um, very limiting characteristics. You know, I'm nerdy or I'm serious and I'm hardworking. But in reality, that's that's we are not just one thing or another. We are a combination of many different things, and the way we act do tend to be uh, different depending on our context and depending on the circle of friends that we might have around, or even depending on the type of romantic partner that you might be with at that particular time of your life. Mm. Let's take a call from Melissa in Canberra. Thanks for pulling over to chat with us, Melissa. What's your travel story for Life Matters? Hi, great. Yeah, so I was, um, it was the first year after my divorce, really long relationship, and I had two wonderful kids to, to that marriage, but I was working for a short time up in East Kimberley in, um, in WA, yep. and I was having a little bit of fun and met this lovely man who was seven years younger, this Dutchman. He was living and working there, and we had this amazing relationship that was just supposed to be fun and we actually put no expectations on it we knew that it was going to finish after three months I was moving back to Canberra he was probably going to be hindering his way down the west coast and going back to to WA and um, so we left Uh, I left and then halfway down it was down near Margaret River actually and he called me and he said you know what I'm going to drive across the Nullarbor and I'm coming to Canberra and he'd never been there before and he did and we had fallen in love and we had we did know that and we never used to say it we used to say Leia which is love you in our way which you know was a way of saying we'd fallen in love but we didn't want to say it because we knew it had to end and we now live happily married he's an amazing stepdad to my boys and we have a daughter together wow and I think I might have heard one of those kids in the background of the call <laughs> I've pulled over of course and of course. I just walked away from the car that's such a that's <laughs> yeah. a real real life rom-com moment for you it is. And you know what? I've been reflecting on it. We put no pressure on that love affair. We didn't, you know, grill each other about what do you want in life? You know, is this person right for me? Because we didn't have any expectations. And I think what that did, it really just allowed love to flourish, you know, and it was really, um, yeah, really amazing. And I'm, you know, I'm seven years older and his family back in Holland are probably thinking, what is this? What is he doing? Yeah. Going to go take on her children and 
and yeah, we have a great life and it's, um, yeah, just really beautiful. If I could just press you for a bit more of your anecdote, Melissa, uh, and I'll let you get back to your car and your kids in just a second. How is it coming back to reality? You mentioned that, you know, love you and love you in our way, which is such a lovely yeah. sentiment you yeah. were able to communicate. But then you come back yeah. to reality and you've got to introduce this new partner who they've never heard of to your family and friends. Do they think you've got a bit mad or are they supportive? How does that, how does that transition take place? Look, I think, I do think that that's where the rubber would did hit the road. And I think what's really amazing is his attitude to life. He's not, um, he doesn't think about what if and have I done the right thing or he really lives in the moment and believes that ha- the, the key to happiness is being grateful for everything you have. And he wasn't thinking, yeah, and I think so what that meant was he really just loved getting to know the kids and really made a huge effort and was really open about living in Australia and didn't think, oh, does this mean I'm never going to see my family again if a pandemic comes? Like he wasn't thinking about that, you know, it was back in 2016. So so I think it was his attitude that that was open to the potential. And, and my family and friends, you know, yeah, just, I mean, they, yeah, he was, he's amazing. But I think that openness, not worrying, but hang on, this formula doesn't feel right. He just had this openness to well, it feels right and I'm happy and, um, yeah, that's what's made the difference, yeah. Melissa, thank you. What a beautiful story. Raquel, I'm just curious, Do you? how do you think uh, things like age or gender or where someone comes from changes uh, the ease of making connections on holiday? The ease... Oh, look, I think regardless of your age or really cultural background or, or, or gender identity, I think we need to, as Melissa said it beautifully, manage our expectations of the holiday and the relationships we make while on holiday. Um, I think it's very important. It's really good advice, you know, to have that open communication, that willingness to meet people and really see where it goes, uh, regardless of our background and who we are. We've got a text here from Susie who says, I met my Danish friend when I was 23 and she was 21 while we were working in a London cafe. For the next year, we traveled Europe, the US, Mexico together. I'm now 58 and we're still close friends. She's divorced with three grown kids and I have one. My daughter has stayed there a number of times. They have all been here. And the two of us last traveled alone together, camping through Iceland just pre-COVID. We are planning an overseas trip together every two to three years. I'm so lucky I met this lifelong friend. That's Susie from the ACT. What a fantastic story from Susie and also maintaining that habit of travel. I wonder, Raquel, when you have a friend like that who you meet in that context purely of travel, how how do you think that might actually change the way you are with that particular person in comparison to friends who you see on the daily? Oh, really? I hope it doesn't change. I hope that's an inspiration for you to to make plans with that friend again and again. And that can be the one person that you go to to uh, revive yourself um, every now and then and make different plans um, to travel and continue that mindset, continue to really grow and build um, that part of yourself. Um, there's no reason why we need to limit ourselves, is there? 
No, there isn't. And I think what I was trying to get at is that, you know, when you have a friend who you meet overseas, who who you meet in a travel context, you might just, again, be in that different headspace. That person might kind of dwell in a a, a more special headspace, I guess, that holiday mode. Uh, Let's go to Robin in Canberra. And you have a story uh, from Morocco. Yeah, I was in Morocco and and I I was for a while in the and um active in a kind of couch what what is called couch surfers movement. Mm-hmm. And um so I I and but when I traveled I didn't necessarily stay in a in a couch surfing, but I did actually stay in a hotel, but I'd k- get in touch with some of the local couch surfers. And one of them was Ibrahim who I met in Morocco. Um and in Marrakesh and he kind of showed me around Marrakesh and and was able to be kind of my local guide and was such an interesting guy and really interested in reading and things like that. But I had the delight of, of taking him to a, um, there was like one Japanese cafe in Marrakesh and I took him to this Japanese restaurant and um, him being quite, quite a typical, you know, um, uh, Moroccan had never come across, and you know, Japanese food, had never eaten Japanese food, had never picked up a pair of chopsticks in his life. Um, and so I got to, I was able to, to show him how to use a pair of chopsticks, and uh, and it was uh, he was a, very good at it, uh, much better than many people I know. And um, and he kept he, he took the he said, can I keep the chopsticks? And absolutely you can. And he was just so delighted to have the opportunity to to go home and and show his family and his friends, you know, this new skill that he'd gotten, and then he'd eaten. Um, you know, Japanese food, which for me, as someone who who was living in Switzerland at the time, was very inexpensive, but for him was well out of the the range of money that he could ever have afforded. And he kind of, uh, and and he was really intervening. So after we after we kind of uh, went back to to Switzerland, I actually sent him an electronic um, book with a uh, you know like a Kindle type thing with a pile of books in it, so that he could keep reading and um, keep exploring the world um but it was it was really amazing to have my eyes opened as to the fact that things like japanese food which was i'd taken so for granted as just kind of part of my diet had, there were people in the world still who who had never and um, Rob, ever had the opportunity that's a lovely story of of cultural exchange and and kind of going back and forth i wonder what is the what are your reflections on the long-term impact of being able to travel and meet so many different people for you Look, I think it's been incredible for me. I've had so so many wonderful experiences across the world. You know, being involved in the Tunisian wedding, and and um, mind you, uh, that I've also learned too, uh, as a uh, uh, you know, as a woman travelling alone, that it can be pretty, a bit scary. I've been sexually harassed in pretty much every country I've ever been to, um, but. It, uh, I think it nonetheless I'm I've no regrets about any of the travel I've done um, whether and the people I've met have just um, I, and my conclusion has been that if you treat people as if they're wonderful people they generally live up to your expectation you know um, and generally across the world everybody is uh, at base level everybody's a lovely person and you get to know that side of person and they live up to that expectation and and if you open your heart to it and you don't, you know, um, be uh, you know, a nasty and have too much expectations of, of, of people that are out of the realms of reasonability, um, you can just um, 
widen your horizons incredibly. Robin, thank you so much for that call and for your optimism. If you want to call, many of you calling in, we've got a full board. Uh, the number is one three hundred double two double five seven six to share your travel story of forming new relationships, romantic and platonic. Let's go to David in New South Wales. Welcome, David. What's your travel story? Hello, Beverly. It's Beverly from your first shows, otherwise known as David. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm, I'm well, David. Go on. <laughs> so in, in, I'm not sure if you remember me. In brief, my partner had died a few years earlier, and to honour her, my daughters and myself, I set a goal to race sailing boats in northern Italy. And I finished that and headed overland to in Italy, heading to uh, to Turkey, and got to a place called Trieste and uh, met. I was riding my bike, which I take with me, and she had been paddling a mountain, a river boat, a down water, a down river boat for white water, and I saw the boat. She wasn't there, and I uh, immediately pulled up, asked her if she spoke English. She didn't. Asked her if she spoke a bit of German. She did. So I was able to communicate across a little bit of Italian and a little bit of German, that the boat was a mountain boat, not a, not a, um, a coastal boat. Anyway, cut a long story short, I had two months with her in, uh, in Trieste and she flew to Istanbul with me and I left for Australia. But it was, uh, it was a most wonderful, wonderful time in, in every possible way. So, yeah, I'll stop there and you can ask me your question. <laughs> sure, David, I do remember you now from our first, from our my very yes. first show. Thank you so much for calling back in. Uh, I suppose maybe in a sentence, what's your advice for people who uh, maybe it's not their comfort zone. They might be a bit more introverted. Uh, how would you encourage them to open themselves up to making connections on holiday? That's a very good point. You're, you, there's a couple of strategies that one would use in that place. You need to put yourself in places where people are. Like I just was in a coffee shop. I just rode my bike, the same bike, sat at a coffee shop and people got chatting people on holiday where if you allow the time and put yourself into places where people meet, and that's coffee shops are always a good one. Coffee because shops. people are energised. Yeah, and the, you know, and, but also I think you've, you've probably covered a really important thing in life is you need to be open. You need to have your arms open and your heart open, but also your mind open. It's very easy when you travel. I've been fortunate to travel a little bit in different countries. You really need to embrace the country. And the, the moment you do, people will allow you in. Whereas if you go with a Western, you know, you've come from Australia and you only want to eat Australian food and do that sort of, those sort of things, it limits you. I think the openness Absolutely. to life and experience is it. Thanks, David. So c- cafe pub, I'm going to throw that in there, and being open to life. That's David calling in. Uh, I'd love to get your advice and your perspective as well, Raquel. This, like Mm -hmm. I said, might sound very daunting to introverts, all these stories of putting yourself out there and speaking, but what if you are less inclined to be so outgoing, but you still want to make connections on a holiday? How it's a bit trickier, I suppose, for that kind of personality. What would you say? Look, it is tricky, um, but David has given us um, really good advice. You put yourself where people tend to meet in the first place, and that has to be 
somewhere where you feel somewhat comfortable. So if you are a bit of an introvert and you, you don't like going to pubs and clubs and, you know, places like that, well, then don't put yourself in those situations. Um, go to a cafe where you might um, read a book, but also be attentive and open at the same time to meet people that have similar mindsets. They are, might also be on a holiday, might be, you know, open to start a conversation. So it's about knowing yourself and knowing what you are comfortable with, but at the same time, being open to experience something different and and maybe take a risk and go up to someone and say hello and see what happens. Yes, uh, good advice there from Dr. Raquel Peel, Senior Lecturer in Psychology and Counselling at the University of Southern Queensland. She studies romantic relationships. We are talking about romantic relationships as well as platonic friendships formed on travel. We're getting so many fantastic calls. Jennifer in Tweed Heads, tell us your story from Berlin 20 years ago. Yeah, I was visiting my daughter there around about 20 years ago. I was in my 60s. And uh, my daughter was working in the daytime, so I only saw her at night. And I, I was travelling around Berlin, going to museums, etc. And I didn't speak the language, and the museums were all in um, German, of course. Um, and I was quite lonely, so I got—I was on a train on this occasion, and this woman got on, and I sort of looked at her. She sat opposite me, and she sort of looked like she was a traveller. And uh, I was thinking... How did um, she sort of look like a traveller? I don't know, the, the way she was dressed. Backpack? The way she was dressed. Okay. Yeah. And uh, after a while, she pulled out this book, which I was able to read because I recognised the cover. It was um, seeing Europe on... living, uh, Travelling in Europe on one dollar a day. Ah. So... <laughs> so... <laughs> I plucked up my courage and I just sort of said hello and we started talking and I was thinking, you know, she'd be a lovely person to travel around Berlin with in the daytime. But she was getting off in a couple more stops and there was no mobile phones in those days. So we didn't have time to make any arrangements at all. It was just so disappointing. Oh, so yeah. just a, a missed opportunity. Yes, it was a missed opportunity. Oh, but, you know, thank you very much for calling in and You're sharing welcome. your story. That actually makes me think of a time I was traveling in China by myself my very first time. And it's a cultural thing, Raquel, that I'd noticed is that if you're traveling alone, it's considered very unusual. And I would often meet people when I was going to big tourist attractions, other single women who would come up to me and ask me, you know, in Mandarin, if I was traveling alone and if they could go with me. And sometimes it was quite comedic because I was quite happy to be traveling alone and I didn't necessarily need a shadow. And I remember going all the way through the Summer Palace uh, around Beijing with a complete stranger who I kind of kept trying to lose, but she was very persistent on, on keeping on my heels. <laughs> Cultural differences can, vary, can be very different. It's a bit of the opposite story of that missed opportunity. It was kind of an overwhelming opportunity that was uh, taken advantage of too much. Um, just focusing a little bit on yeah. the romantic aspect, because you do specialize in romantic relationships. That's your area of study. Why do That's correct. Why do holiday flings feel so different than, than a regular romance? Ah, yes. Look, um, 
Romantic relationships experienced in a holiday, they tend to be um, accelerated, meaning that uh, people still want to experience all of the different milestones of being in a romantic engagement, but in a shorter period of time. So as you can imagine, they might move quite quickly from first date into a sexual encounter, for instance. And, and even through the experiences of getting to know one another really well, that can all happen in a space of a week or a couple of weeks. And that's what it makes it so uh, incredibly um, meaningful as well as hot and, and interesting. Mm. And uh, I guess we always we do obviously need to talk about how to stay safe and, and you know, how mm. to maintain your your safety when you're engaging in these relationships overseas because you know we are we can be different people it can be very easy for someone to portray themselves as as somebody who they are not so i suppose what are some sort of guardrails guardrails to think about when we want to take a risk but we also want to keep ourselves safe it's an interesting balance yeah, look, absolutely. I'm I'm like yourself. I've been I've also been someone who has travelled um, alone, um, and and I do prefer that in, in a way. And and yes, yeah, so if you are in that situation where you're a young woman and you're travelling alone, you have to keep yourself safe. And one way to do that is if we think back to one of our earlier callers, uh, Melissa, it's about conversations. It's about ex- uh, talking about expectations as well. So you have to be open to have that conversation about what it is that you are comfortable with doing, um, especially if you are engaging in a romantic engage, uh, in a relationship with someone. So what is it that you are comfortable with doing with a partner and, and thinking about where to put yourself? Um, so it might be that you don't want to go out at night by yourself and go to clubs and, and, and have alcohol in the mix mm. and yeah it's it's really important to to plan ahead um th- things like you know do you know the language or are you open to learning the language uh you might enroll yourself in courses and yeah it comes out to planning it comes down to managing expectations and having open communications with the people that you meet to set out the, those expectations from the very beginning more wise advice from Raquel Peel, our talkback guest this morning on Life Matters. Let's go to Rose in Sydney. Rose, you have a life-saving story to tell us. Hello. Look, going back in 1989, a girlfriend and I decided to go over to Hawaii just for one week. When we arrived in Hawaii, uh, it was about the first night out we met these really two nice brothers um, from Seattle and they were actually, they knew Hawaii well because their father lived there. And they decided to ask us out every day, show us around, take us to discos. And our ticket to go home was booked for Friday night, flight 811 at midnight. And the ticket was a locked in ticket you could not change. So that week we had a fabulous time. And by Thursday, one of the, the guides that we met, Stuart, he said, look, why are you going home Thursday? He said, those flights go every night. They go Saturday night, midnight, Sunday. Why don't you stay just one extra night of mm. fun? And we said, oh, geez, yeah, that would be good, but I don't think my ticket is locked in. It was cheap. I don't think I can stay, but we'll ring the airlines and see. And what did so you find rang- out? We rang the airlines and they said, look, I'm sorry, ma'am, your ticket's locked in, but we'll see what we can do and get back to you. So anyway, we got a phone call back saying, 
yes, we can exchange your flight. You can leave on Saturday night instead of Friday night at midnight. So that meant one more night of dancing. (laughs) So on the Saturday morning after being out late Friday night, my girlfriend and I went down to the beach, Honolulu. There in front of us, we saw on the billboards, flight 811 explosion, a door, people, the door blew off. People were, um, you know, blown out of the plane. Our seat we had allocated was right near the door. Oh, my goodness. The person blown out of this plane was one of the clients that I used to deal with in public relations. I'm so sorry. That I knew. Now, this was just uncanny, the fact that we stayed that one extra night with these two young men that persuaded us to stay an extra night of dancing. Now, now, Stuart, the Stuart and Brad, the two brothers, are lifelong friends. Stuart comes to Australia. I've been over to Seattle years ago, back in 89. We're soulmates, although it's not a romantic connection, but it's just a great friendship. And he always says that we saved your lives, you and Kathy. It's incredible. It's true. What an extraordinary it's... story. I think, Rose, you win for the day. Not only did you get an extra night of dancing, but you also had your life saved because you delayed your flight by one day. That What an extraordinary story. I think we can just sneak in one final call from Marion in South Sydney. Tell us your travel story, Marion. We've just got a, about a minute to go. So, um, well, yes. That's hard. <laughs> um, well, I've traveled pretty much all my life and had amazing experiences in every country. But now when I travel with my husband, we call him Mr. Have a Chat. So he just talks to everybody, so it makes it very easy for me to meet people. But we were in a B&B in Malta, and it had a shared kitchen, so you, we sat and had dinner with um, different people. And we were about to get on our yacht. We'd been sailing in the Med for nine years, and um, and... This lady said, oh, I'm from Tunisia. Are you going to go to Tunisia? We said, yes, we're going to Tunisia after Sicily. So we're going to sail from Malta to Sicily and then to Tunisia. And she said, oh, well, when you get there, I'll be your guide. So we said, oh, yes, okay, that sounds nice. And so we rang her and told her when we were arriving. And she said, I'll come and meet you. I'll come and meet you. And we're in, my husband's in his 70s. I'm in my 60s. And she was only 20. I think at that time and um, and so she met us at the boat and we were just expecting you know she'd take us around the local town but for the next 10 days she took us all around Tunisia and took us to like Marion um, I'm going to have to stop you there um, that that minute unfortunately for the final call has has come up but that sounds like a fantastic story and I tell you what Life Matters listeners have uh, some amazing travel stories to share Raquel Peel I'm going to come back to you for one final sentence uh, as we wrap what do you want people to keep in mind on this subject of forming new relationships while traveling your final nugget uh, crystal sentence of advice Oh, thank you. It has been wonderful to hear all those powerful shared lived experiences. And that's that's the reason why we do it. That's the reason why we travel, to have those powerful lived experiences. So thank you so much. 
Thank you, Raquel Peel, a senior lecturer in psychology and counseling at the University of Southern Queensland who studies romantic relationships. A few more texts before we get into the too hard basket, which is another spicy one, I must say. Uh, We've got one text saying, I met my wife on a street when she was on a holiday and had a long distance relationship for a couple of years. We would meet at different countries to go on amazing adventures. Now we still travel and my true love is my and my with my travel and my uh, wife. Uh, Karen says, my partner and I met an American couple while in Italy some years ago. None of us had booked accommodation in the Sancterre region, and it turned out to be a local public holiday as well as at that that time. Uh, We paired up as only one of us had a phone to call hotel after hotel and ended up sharing a room with them as there was nothing else available. They got the double bed when we found out they were on their honeymoon. (laughs) We got the single beds. We've kept in touch and traveled with them for years. Thanks, everybody, for all your fantastic texts. Like I say, the Too Hard Basket is a very interesting one about friendship, so let's get to it. Know your emergency plan this summer. A third consecutive London And rely on ABC to be with you. What can I do? Broadcasting up-to-the-minute critical information. We have issued an emergency warning. Online at ABC Emergency and on your local ABC radio. ABC Radio, reliable Stay safe, stay connected. I don't know what I'd do without the ABC. Download the ABC Listen app and stay connected with your local ABC radio station. Got an issue you just can't fix? On the fence about what direction you should take? Been wrestling with a situation that's out of control? Let's take it out of the too too hard basket. A classic dilemma this week all about getting dropped by a friend. Kind of the opposite, I guess, of our our talkback session earlier. Before we get to the details of the problem sent in by one of you, welcome to two of our two chief basketeers. Denise Erickson is a trainer and a television consultant, and Yanni Ajisalu is a writer and a lawyer, two people who solve problems for a living. So very glad to have your expertise. Um, Yanni and Denise, before we get into the nitty-gritty of this uh, dilemma, I'd love just to get a quick taster from you of your experience being dropped by a friend. Has it ever happened to you, Denise? Oh, yes. And I've done a bit of dropping too. But it it is painful when it happens. And I have been dropped by friends. And I think like in the the bigger picture of it, it's usually when they find new directions for their life. Yeah. And I'm not part of it. So yes, and I hated it. Yeah, it's very painful, as you said. Yanni, a quick taster from you. Have you ever been dropped by a friend? I think everyone's been dropped by a friend, which is just another way to say that, you know, friends come into your life sometimes for a day and sometimes for a month and sometimes for a lifetime. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely happened. And I will agree with Denise that it is often, I mean, for me, often it was when, when, my, when a friend got, uh, got a girlfriend or a partner when I was younger and, and we all realised, we didn't realise this before, that he was the sort of person who wasn't good at staying in contact with like lots of people at once, but only good at being in a lot of contact with one person at once. Yanni, I'm so glad that you've mentioned that because that is very salient to today's dilemma that Annie has thrown into the Life Matters Too Hard basket. Annie writes, I met a woman living nearby who was very friendly when she first moved into the area. We're both single and she wanted daily catch-ups to chat about dating and I enjoyed the connection. But I've now noticed since that she has a boyfriend and she's not seeking my company as much, although he's rarely there. And when he is, she's socializing with couples and I'm not included. 
I recently had surgery and I asked if I had problems during the night if I could call her. She said yes. I feel disappointed, though, that she didn't ask or even text or call to check if I was okay. I'm needing to reassess our mutual friendship, and I'm not sure whether to bring it up. My intention is to have a genuine and mutually respectful relationship with her. She's a lovely woman, but I'm thinking she's not as genuinely caring as I thought she was. And Annie is asking us for advice on how to manage this friendship. Denise, do you have experience making friends with people in your neighborhood or local area? Oh, endless examples of it. I'm I'm a bit transient. So I, I've moved country several times and I've moved flats there for many times. And I think when you move into a new home, you reach around you to sort of try and establish connections as you're very vulnerable when you're moving house. So the first port of call is usually your neighbours. And and often you will find when you move into a new neighbourhood, people that you can relate to, people you can talk to, and get to get a lie of the land in the neighbourhood. So yes, I, I've done that a lot. And what I've found is that initially we meet up as new best friends and we're going to be like, oh my, this is so amazing you're living next to me in this apartment block this is so wonderful and and it is for a while and then you actually realize that your life is coming back together that it hasn't ended because you've moved flats and that actually when you dig a bit deeper there's not that strong deep connection that you've had with friends for a while with some people but then with other people it's something that does go on for a lifetime and i've i've made many many good friends from neighbors as i've moved in and out of places over my life yanni how do you see this dilemma well <clears throat> i um i think it's uh any she certainly shouldn't take it personally because um I feel like uh, sometimes like friendship is like um, for some people, I think friendship's like a home loan, you know, it's something like it's going to last 30 years, probably the rest of your life might be the most important thing in your life. And some people sort of come in wanting more like bridging finance. It's like, I just need some money to get me through the end of this year or this difficult period of time. And it sounds to me like there might just be a little bit of miscommunication in terms of what one person thought and what the other person thought. And, you know, and also I think it, it's quite a risk sometimes where someone is living next door. Like whenever <clears throat> someone is proximate to you, it's often sometimes you think, oh, wow, this person is really great friends with me. But it's just a matter of um, not convenience, but it is in as much as, you know, sometimes there may be two fish and chip shops. There's the one that's just next door. And then there's the really good one that's like about 10 minutes drive. And sometimes you're like, I'm just going to go to the one next door because I... <laughs> All right. Fish and chip just, shops, yeah. bridging finance, a 30-year mortgage. I'm, I'm loving these analogies here, Yanni. Um, I wonder, Denise, if Annie has not already dropped some strong clues in the message because she writes that this friend wanted daily catch-ups to talk about dating. Hindsight yes. is twenty twenty, but in essence, this friend was being very f- upfront about their interests. I mean, daily catch-up yes. to talk about this specific subject. There clearly was already a preoccupation, wasn't there, Denise? Well, and also I think there's a loneliness. And, it, you know, I've had friends like that that, uh, you know, that I've been a very good sounding board for and happily been that, I've got to say. And and I, I think that it's the other thing that this dilemma raises about partnerships too is that when you have that sort of daily chat about dating and then you find a partner, sometimes single people are excluded. Now, I'm very happily single. Most of my friends are single 
or gay, gay couples are amazing about including me. They don't see that I'm a singleton. But I do know that a lot of my heterosexual friends, once they get into partnership and couples, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, you. Oh, yeah. And they love coming over when I invite them over. But often there's not that reciprocal thing. Mm. And I think that's very, very hard to deal with. And I suspect that's what's happening here. I don't think, I think Yanni's right. I don't think it's malicious or mean, but I, I think there's a diff, there's a disconnect in terms of how this friendship has come about and how each of them see. I do think it's pretty rubbish that the neighbour couldn't have rung up to see how Annie was after surgery, right? Yeah, yeah. I do think that was rubbish. Yanni, it, uh, Annie obviously is disappointed and has a right to be disappointed, but thinking about the idea of addressing this converse, this issue with her, do you think that Annie's clearly she's got it's it's on her mind. She's reached out to us, but do you think much can be achieved from actually speaking to the friend? Would you advise that? Um, well, it really depends how she's planning on speaking to her. Like, I think if she's if she's really actually very emotionally upset and she's going to go and you know rant and rave and be like, I don't think that's a very dignified thing for her to do, and I don't think she needs to do that. But. Um, I think there is definitely a thing about a reciprocity in friendship, you know. it's. I think what the main thing that she's upset about is not necessarily that her friend got a boyfriend or a partner and, and, um, and then disappeared. I think it's, it's more the fact that, like, I put in a lot of effort and energy into mm. you and then now when I'm going through something difficult, you're not there. And I think that's the main thing. And, of course, the... The thing you say out loud is like, oh, I don't see you anymore now that you're dating, right? But um, I think the, the, the more hurtful thing is that. And if she can manage to say that in a way that maintains her dignity and, you know, and, and doesn't, she doesn't, she shouldn't get too caught up in the fact that of feeling wronged. It's just as much as being able to sort of say, I wanted this from you and it, I didn't get it, you know, and that was disappointing to me. Then I think she should say something. Because I think also there's um, there's a rebalancing act here because it sounds like Annie's um, the the person who is is putting more in, and then the other person seems to be the person who is sort of uh, not putting as much in, and that that happens in friendships because that you know humans are like that, and sometimes you need to if you're the person who puts too much in, you need to say oh, I think I'm actually putting too much in and I need it more back, and sometimes um the people who don't put as much in need to hear that because you know at some point it will probably even help her in her relationship that she's gotten into because those dynamics that come from friendship can very much you know, be carried into the next relationship. That's, right. That's all a friendship is, is a relationship. I'm just going to throw in a comment from Andrew, who's chimed in on Facebook, who said, just speak with her. Not a single one of us behaves perfectly all the time, and she may genuinely not realize she's hurting your feelings. Tell her, Denise, would you would you bother uh, making having that conversation? I'm not sure. I, I, I'm... Look, sometimes those conversations can be misinterpreted. Mm. I mean, I, my approach would be to try and pursue the friendship in the way in which Annie wants it to be pursued. In other words, take the initiative, invite her over, not wait to be invited. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily what happened. But if she finds, if Annie finds that there's not a return gig, she has to decide whether or not that's enough for her. And and I, I'm re like... It makes my, I feel a little bit sick when I think that Annie might say, I was really, you know, however nicely she phrases it, 
I, I that I was disappointed in you for not contacting me because I just think that could destroy yeah. what may be there. Whereas I'd be much more tempted to just set up regular things and, and, and invite you to go for a walk or invite her over for coffee and then decide if she, if you're not invited back, Annie, then maybe there isn't that friendship there that you really think there is and, and treat it as a, having a great neighbour as opposed to a great friend. I guess it comes down to thinking about <laughs> how that conversation will be received. Uh, I really, yes. I really appreciate both of your Wisdom, thank you so much for chiming in. It's always great to speak to both of you. Denise Erickson is a co-founder of Media Mentors and Yanni Ajislu is a writer and a lawyer. We are so keen to have a go at your dilemmas as well. So please email them to lifematters at abc.net.au. Put too hard basket in the subject line and enters Erica Walls. What is the chatter? There is so much chatter. Lots of reflections. Dave says... She's a little heavy in her expectations. I reckon she's freaked others out. That's that's Dave's perspective, whereas another listener says the friend has used her. Um, and also has got this somewhat brutal observation. It's nothing personal. It's just anthropology. The unpartnered groom each other to get support, and when there is a partner, sigh, 50% chance that you will be forgotten. Now, you were having a bit of a debate about should um, Annie say anything mm. to the person. Jane says, yes, do speak to the friend. Jane says, um, sometimes this happened. I would tell her that you missed the connection you had while understanding her priorities have probably changed. Also, many women lose themselves a bit when in a new relationship. Perhaps all of us lose ourselves, shall we say. Um, Express that you missed the connection and see what evolves. My favourite word is capacity. Many people don't have it or the understanding that you might be feeling a bit used or no longer useful. If it doesn't work out chalk it up to experience and Jody says read up on adult attachment styles people are into, into adult friendships with different attachment styles which bring different values needs and beliefs about the friendship reflect on your own attachment issues which may be driving your responses I think that's, that's great quite deep yeah yeah and Kate says you need to rely on your yourself first and foremost try and cultivate and be part of a group of people based on a shared interest that is always a very good way to approach making new friends and cherry says, Let's see what transpires after her honeymoon period with the new partner. And Diana says, let this relationship go. You can't make people like you or want to be with you. You deserve better. So start looking for a new friendship elsewhere. Sue says, it's a bummer to be let down by someone who you thought cared for you and not great for one's mental health. Let it go. Diversify your friendships and be your own best friend. And Karen says, don't waste your precious time on people who don't give a fig. They don't deserve your friendship. Sandra has this reflection. I thought I'd made true friends with two ladies in a small town we moved to some years ago. I worked with one for two years. I did tell myself that one was especially, possibly quite shallow, but I've kept in contact anyway. When I was ill with cancer, neither did anything to help, but was still friendly and affectionate and chatty when I would see them. I've confided in them about many things, including private issues. But when I watch them with other people, they're exactly the same. I've accepted that I'm not anything special to either of them, but it still hurts. I would suggest that Annie keep the contact, but don't expect too much. And Beverly, lots of thoughts about relationships that are formed um, 
after or while, sorry, while travelling. Um, Diane says, sometimes you can meet a traveller as I did when I was almost 20 years old, who then becomes a friend. I was about to have my first child and my new friend was travelling on for as long as she could. Anyway, 47 years later, our relationship is as real as the start. I visited her by myself in the year 2000 in Vienna and also travelled solo throughout several European countries. Her friendship gave me the confidence to travel, meet and embrace Life on the Road. More comments will be in the Monday Inbox. Thanks, Erica. Erica is one of Life Matters' team of producers, along with Nat Tenchich, Emma Nobel, Michelle Weeks, Greg Muller, Beck Zajac, and Tracy Tromf. Life Matters' executive producer is Angela Owens, and you can look for Life Matters on the ABC Listen app, where you can find our entire archive of episodes and past interviews. Tap the star to make it a favorite so you never miss a thing. And we always love to hear from you. Send us an email for the Too Hard Basket or Life in 500 Words. The email address is lifematters at abc.net.au. Just put Too Hard Basket or Life in 500 Words in the subject line. I'm Beverly Wang. It's been a pleasure. Let's talk again soon. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.